0: Welcome to Aim Higher, a show designed to help us realize the leadership potential inside of all of us. I'm Skip Pritchard, CEO, author, blogger, student of success, and your host. On this edition of Aim Higher, we are talking about how to deal with conflict in the workplace. Conflict, conflict, conflict. We know it increases anxiety People often stress and think about it all night long, which of course means they have insomnia, causes high blood pressure and worry. It hits all of our emotions. It hits frustration. It hits anger. Some people even have sadness. Now, what we're not talking about on this episode is conflict that I would put in the legal category. So if it's conflict related to discrimination or any type of harassment or anything remotely like that, we're not really talking about that here. That's a legal issue, see your lawyer, talk about it elsewhere. But we're not talking about it here. That is not what we are talking about. We're talking about that everyday conflict that happens just because we're humans. Now, I'm one that doesn't relish conflict, but I steer right into it. I always put things right on the table because you can't deal with something or someone if you don't name it and talk about it. But some people do not want to talk about it. They're more conflict avoidant. And nobody relishes, I think, really loves conflict. Well, maybe, but that's a psychological separate issue that maybe we'll get into. We think conflict is negative, but there's actually two types of conflict. One is very positive. Positive conflict at work is a key part of leadership. Like I said, it puts issues on the table. It pushes projects forward. It pushes people to a point where they have to make decisions. It encourages us to be our best. This positive conflict drives much of what we do in organizations. So that type of positive conflict is necessary. But there's also negative conflict. It might be emotional, not logical. This is the type of conflict that gets your blood boiling, has you talking at night to your family saying, this is what's going on. This, we know what this type of conflict is, and it's not usually in the positive category. And so today to talk about all things conflict, we have a panel of people who will create conflict. Elise, welcome back. you. have been here you. a few times now. I have been here a few Thanks times. for wandering in.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. And we
0: have Drew. Drew, who's talking about conflict.
2: I'm ready. You're ready. I'm totally ready. Boy, that was loud, too. See, I you're
3: just creating just conflict. Just, I just
2: blew Tammy
0: across the already room. already
3: intense. Uh,
0: Carrie, our sound engineer, you're just trying to create conflict
2: with I him. Am. I am. In fact, I'm just not going to talk about it. That's my conflict.
0: Oh, avoidance. Well, we look at one of the ways to avoid conflict, which will create its own conflict. And we have Tammy. Tammy, welcome back. You've been here also just a few times.
3: Just a few times. Pleased to be here.
0: Welcome back. Well, I haven't read the book yet, but I have a book on my desk that I'm excited to read called From Conflict to Courage, and I'm looking forward to reading that. I'm going to interview the author. But I thought, wow, that appeared on my desk. So before I even get into it, let's just talk about conflict, because what are my views before reading a book on Conflict. So I'm really excited to talk about conflict. Let's just start with this. Why do we stress out when we think or when we deal with conflict? What is it about conflict that just causes that? You can feel that, you know, your breath changes. You anticipate the conflict. What is it about it? Is it fight or flight?
2: That's what I was thinking as you said that, just that instinctual, this is something to prepare for. Because, I mean, there's some people that love it, that just wallow in it all the time. And there's some people who want harmony. So I, I think everybody reacts to it just at what at what level or what scale. And we see conflict differently. Somebody may see it as conflict.
0: You know, some people, oh, this is a conflict. And I maybe see it as we're just having a conversation. Like, mm-hmm. I think it really depends on your perspective and personality as you're dealing with conflict. But we do stress out about conflict. And some people stress out about it for days. I think if you're going to stress out about something, you should probably try to compress the period. And that's why dealing with it. For me, I like to deal with it as soon as it comes up because otherwise it will ruin my week. So I'd rather just ruin five minutes. But other people really want that time to ruminate and think, and they may be more introspective or maybe just need that time. What do you think about why we stress out about conflict?
3: Well, I think Drew's comment is a good one that we immediately feel the need to protect, maybe to avoid, maybe to fight. There, there's that initial almost you know, physical response that isn't really always rational. But then I think the second element or second layer of that is the suggestion that something is wrong with the person or with you. And so you take that in and you ruminate over it or you're angry. I do find that if you ruminate too much, it makes the whole situation so much worse. Yes. Because you're just sort of marinating in it rather than getting it over with.
1: Well, when you marinate in it, what happens is it gets legs and it goes out to other people. Because you start talking about it to other people. You start gathering them into the conflict with you. And now before you know it, you have a bigger level of conflict that you have no idea how to even solve.
2: I catch myself getting worked up about imaginary conversations that have yet to happen. Yes. And then you realize, wait a second. Right. <laughs> when he what he you this, doing? I'm going to say I'm that. I'm going to say this, and then yeah. I'll get really mad about that. And and it's just <laughs> silly. It's silliness, but it's, it's so natural to yeah. fall into that.
3: Manufactured. I think the other thing, too, is I'm, I'm thinking about a lunch I had with a, a friend who was mad at her husband that day. And just, you know, was venting about it and was really exercised. And then I didn't see her for six months. And so my impression then, like you were saying, Elise, is, wow, their marriage is on the rocks. But she was just mad at him that day. When I saw her six months later, I I mentioned it. She's like, what? I don't even remember that. So, you know, sometimes when you pull other people in, you're damaging their perspective as well. Mm -hmm. And you're you're kind of laying some of that stress on them.
0: Very dangerous. I, I call it the creation of the conflict monster. Because the conflict problem is one thing and then it morphs and it may morph, as you said, Elise, in bringing other people into that snowball or it may morph into more things, you know, drew your imaginary conversation and now you've morphed it into that or – You may have morphed it into creating a problem in your marriage because now your friend thinks there is one, and you didn't tell people like they're having problems in paradise. No, I did
3: not. I did not share
0: that. But But I was worried
3: about it for her. It could
0: happen. And so it's the creation of the conflict monster. And so oftentimes, even at work, what started as a problem in one area moves to another area. And if too much time goes by, the people may not, just to your point about your friend, may not even remember what the original thing was about. They just know that they're in conflict. We know that's true around the world, even in wars over time, people don't even remember what is the genesis of this in the first place. And so it happens that way. What are some of the most common causes of conflict in the workplace?
1: Different perceptions. I see something one way. This other person sees it another way, and I don't spend the time understanding how that other person sees it or vice versa. So we're looking through two very different lenses without understanding that about one another.
0: I think that's a big one. Mm
2: -hmm. I think unaligned incentives is one you can run into quite often where we're supposed to be working together and literally what you are rewarded for is the opposite of what I am rewarded for. Um, It doesn't mean it's not fixable, but it, it does happen a lot.
0: And that creates conflict because we're pulling in totally different directions. You can't be sailing in the same way if one sail is going this way and the other one sets up the motor to drive the other
2: way. Yeah. You're trying to get more customers and I'm trying to keep us profitable. Like, you know, just in in pure business terms, those can butt heads all the time.
3: The perception of turf and responsibility and accountability can cause conflict. Yep. That's Um, a good one. Well, that's my job. No, that's my job. And so I think sometimes, you know, just clarifying roles and clarifying accountabilities, Um, you know, and I'm not talking about a job description, it's just more discussion of who has what responsibility in a project or a role.
0: So we've covered personality and perception and confusion about responsibility and roles and incentives. A couple others that I'm thinking about work style is just different, Mm -hmm. creates creates it, you know, I'm more detailed or I'm big picture or I like to work. From the bottom up, or however the work style is different. Or have
2: a thousand meetings, and I like to have like one meeting.
0: Meetings, yeah. right? Or communication style. Yep. Uh, is it through email or text? Yes. Where somebody else has to see you in person, and does that create some kind of, of conflict? Unreasonable demands, communication problems, power struggles. I think all of these are ways that conflict comes up in various ways. But a big one is just communication. Oftentimes where we miss, conflict is created because we miss intent. I would say assume positive intention and much of the conflict goes away. I think about when I worked for a trial judge and you're watching witnesses in the courtroom. And this same event is remembered very differently. And our memory is different. And so we can then color our memory and think about it differently. And in a way, it can create conflict with somebody because we're remembering what they said or how many times has this happened the same words you repeat them to your significant other you said and they said but i did not say it like that yes you did you said and the intonation is completely different you're remembering it in your head as something very very innocuous or you know what's for dinner or do we want to go out to dinner and it's are we going out to dinner? You know, it's it's a very different kind of tone. So I think that communication problems, you see it in the workplace all the time. And people hear the same words, but how they were said. And unless you were there, you don't have a, a feeling.
1: Sometimes not even how they're said, but the different definitions that we associate with those words. So there's been several times when I've been in a conversation, dialogue with my significant other, Where I will do that. I'm like, well, you said this, and this is what this means to me. He's like, I didn't. That's not what I said. And I'm like, right, but this is what I heard. This This is is what what I I got from that message. So it is. It's just a misfire in what's actually trying to be said. And that happens all the time over email.
0: It does. And, And one of the things that I think is a great tactic, like you just said, here's what I heard, is to restate what the person said. Let me just recap what I'm hearing. Drew, you just were in a conference call with us, and you said, let me see if I can put this in my words and tell me if I'm accurate or something to that effect. And it gives them a chance to say, wait, is did he get it the way I think or no?
2: Right. Here's what I'm hearing you say, but in my own words. Am I right or not? Because I'm going to go run with this information, and I want to make sure I'm running in the right direction.
1: And that's so much easier to do, though. Coming back to what you were saying something earlier, Skip, about... Doing that early on, if you let the conflict continue before addressing it early, it just gets bigger, more monstrous, to the point where you don't know how to even start to address it. And so many people just hope it goes away. It doesn't go away.
0: It doesn't go away. And, and it doesn't start as conflict, right? It starts with a misperception. It starts with a miscommunication. It starts as a seed. And that seed could probably be solved. But once it's an oak tree, now it's a conflict and you need everybody in. You know, If it's an oak tree, you need lawyers and it goes to court. It's a big mess. If you handle it as a little plant, it's different. If you handle it as a seed, you can probably just say, oh, well, we'll plant it over there. The other thing I think that we're thinking about when we think about perception or things is we've lost the art of mediation. It's often my way, your way. I'm right, you're right. And this is fueled by our society and our news cycles, and our social media, and the reinforcement. And it's also something, look it up if you don't know this, confirmation bias. We want to hear something that confirms our view, and we will accept those facts, and whatever doesn't purport to our facts, we reject that. And so we've lost this art of really understanding, and not just pretending to listen, not just repeating it back, that's a good technique, To really understand, do I really understand your perception? Doesn't mean I agree with it, but we've lost this art of mediation in many parts of the world, I think, and in our rush to move on.
3: I think we've got what I call a propensity for offense, meaning that we're, maybe because of the news cycles, maybe because we're coming out of a pandemic period, other stressors, we're just very ready to take offense. We're looking for the offense. I do think conflict can be healthy, though, and I think when it's healthy... You're looking at the root cause, you're trying to find what are we really, you know, attempting to solve here. And you're able to work through it so that you're more productive and the outcome is a better outcome.
2: Oh, I think the absence of conflict is a problem. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at a team and there's never conflict, mm-hmm. are you not Isn't that trying? conflict? Well, well I, I just think you're not do you trying not care? anything. You're, yeah. You don't care, Passive are you apathetic? Conflict. Is are you not attempting anything difficult? Like Playing it too safe. Playing it too safe, playing Mm -hmm. it too nice, or or maybe everything's behind the scenes. I mean, there's, so it's a, that's what what makes this such an interesting topic because there's such a physical negative response to it, but you have to have some of it to really be achieving.
0: Yeah. I think if if I come from a meeting where it's so smooth and everything is a protocol and we're reporting out status and there's no kind of debate or issues or anything coming up there, even though they are really going on right. all over the place, I know then either somebody's hiding it, we're avoiding it, something's not right. So the meeting itself, you say, oh, well, fine, it went well, I guess, but it was very efficient. But then you say, but but the issues, where they surfaced? Are you dealing with them? I don't think it gets to that creativity conflict, that creative conflict.
2: That there was also about. a word you said that we haven't totally touched on, but when you said rush... I think there is a time-speed element to this that makes things worse. You know, when we said, oh, look, you take the time to understand what the other person is saying. And what did you mean? And that takes time. That takes intention. And take a deep breath. and just I mean, work does not happen like that. Like Nobody we are, has. go, 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 send 27 emails, misunderstand you, read things differently, and, and then there's an explosion over there. And you didn't even mean for that to happen. I mean, there's a pace that makes this worse.
0: It's true, and that's why when we can all travel everywhere, it's easier, because if the explosions are happening, I'm just off to the next city.
1: <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting that you say that, Drew, because it is, it's, it's the pace of things make things worse, but if you want to run, sometimes you have to walk first. That's profound. I mean, they come every now and again.
2: Well, this is why we have a lease.
1: But if you don't address it when it happens and you don't take that extra few minutes, if they don't have a relationship, a solid relationship with you where they can assume that you didn't mean it that way, it'll just continue to get worse.
0: Yeah, and oftentimes it's not easy to get that meeting to have that relationship and have that conversation, et cetera, but it's, it's very important. Let's, let's jump into the signs. What are some of the signs of someone who's causing conflict? I mean, someone who's causing it. I'll give one to get you started. The blind carbon copy. Oh, I wrote I a post that. on this. Please read it. Avoid the Nightmare of the Blind Carbon Copy. It's, it's a little dated at this stage, but it's one of the most trafficked on my
2: website. One of the better images, too. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to give it away, but you got you to see it.
0: skippritchard.com Look it up. Blind Carbon Copy. And it sends a message of, I don't trust. If you're the recipient of one and you respond and different people get it, that's a problem. If you receive it, you think, why am I copied on it in this manner? You can use it, but you have to use it very strategically, very carefully. Maybe if it's a massive list and you don't want everyone replying all, which is functionality that has changed gratefully in the last 10 years. But it just sends a real odd signal to me if I get a blind carbon copy. Like Because here's what it does. It cuts me out of the conversation response, and it's a very passive-aggressive way. So, Tam, if you send me a, a message and blind carbon copy me and the other person responds, I don't get their response. Mm-hmm. They don't know that I was on your original note. Right. So in the issue with your friend and your, your witnessing, if that was an email and she said, our marriage is in trouble, blah, 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 that would be a one way to you. If the husband replied and said, oh, I didn't mean it that way, here's what happened. And she says, oh, okay, sorry, honey, that was all bad. Two minutes later, you wouldn't know that. And so it's a very passive-aggressive way to say, here's one side of communication. You're not going to get the other. I control the flow of information to you. It does a lot of bad things. Anyway, to me, it is someone who causes conflict. If they use the blind carbon copy, right, not strategically. There are some reasons you would, but it's rare. I think that's one of the issues. What else would you say?
3: I think similarly, and I hadn't thought about this, but it's the person who copies a lot of people. Obviously, openly copying a lot of people, and they're addressing the conflict in kind of a passive-aggressive way over email. They're copying a bunch of people, maybe in an effort to embarrass someone or to garner support from others, rather than pulling that person aside and saying, hey, let's talk about this. Yeah, 14, 15, right. now it's 42, yeah. lots of people. Well, since we're talking about email, I will say
0: escalating it to senior management. Too early, too often.
2: That's an art, but yes. Yes. Mm -hmm.
0: When do you do it? When do you not do it? But it can cause conflict. Now, it may be good conflict. You may be saying, I've been dealing with you for this long. I have to bring other people in. That's part of what this is. I'm leading positively. Or it could be a passive-aggressive move that they see as a hostile move against them. So when do you copy senior management? We won't go into that when, but that conflict can create another one is... Last one I'll mention on email, all caps.
3: That's creating conflict. It's like a yell.
2: It's a
0: strange screen. one, though, isn't
2: it? That's what it does, though.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's there for emphasis, but um, why are you yelling it, at me? I mean, it the entire email, email screen, is all. Oh, yeah, caps. that's painful. Not, I can't, not the I can't title. Watch that. The entire Ouch. email.
1: They <laughs> didn't know how to turn their caps lock off. Yeah. I, I think I'm
2: another one freed. that's that's outside of email, we could probably do a whole podcast on the dangers of email. Is is consistent fallout from meetings? Like, let's say you have a project, and just every weekly status meeting, there's then thirty-seven conversations afterward. Of oh, I can't believe they said this, and I can't believe we did that, and I can't I mean, that's just you have projects like that. That that's just something healthy is not happening. That's a clear sign.
1: Love the meeting after the meeting after the meeting right. to talk about the meeting. Oh yeah, just shoot, which just shoot. <laughs> or, or the
0: three meetings before to prepare yes. for the meeting and getting ready for the conflict. That's a good one. I think in that same vein, starting a rumor, someone's creating conflict. Blaming somebody, either fairly or unfairly, but blaming, especially unfairly, I think that can create conflict. Setting people up, and Mm -hmm. we've all seen it. We are setting you up to fail. We're bringing you into something. You're coming into a meeting, and you just get set up. Let me just tell you, here's what we're here for, and then you walk into the meeting, and it's completely different. And it was designed to cause conflict, it was designed to get you, et cetera. That is not the sign of someone who creates peace.
3: I think that also has expansive effects on trust because if that's happening to a person, the message to everybody else is that you gotta watch your back. And you were saying, Elise, that conflict gets legs when you talk to a a lot of other people about it. I think rumors are like that too. I think about the um, VeggieTales cartoon, The Rumor Weed. Yes. when you know yes. it starts little and then it keeps getting repeated and then pretty soon the rumor weeds taking over the city but it is true and it happens like wildfire in organizations and people probably don't understand the damaging impact that that can have well, on people but also on
2: culture and those are those the last couple we just mentioned those are characteristics almost almost aren't situational like, I would almost look at you're a bad person for doing that to me. Not, hey, we had a misunderstanding. Hey, we, you know, if you're setting people up, if you're starting rumors, if you're, I don't want to interact with you. I don't want to be with you in any situation. You're a bad Which person. Which is conflict. Which, and yeah, but I mean, it's, <clears throat> do I have to be with you? Ugh, that's, that's right. Those are bad people.
1: Right, because it's a different type of conflict. Yeah. It's not, purposeful. It's, it's not a it's, misalignment it's or damaging. a misfire. It's, I'm doing something right. knowingly. To hurt, at least you
3: wouldn't hurt me. I wouldn't. She would never. I know. That's because we moved you so far apart. That's true. We just (laughs) separate you. I think there's conflict that focuses on outcomes. There's conflict that focuses on behavior, and there's conflict that focuses on the person. And that last one is often much more damaging. Oh, what a good outline though.
0: I like those three. Repeat those? Let me see. You probably can't remember.
3: (laughs) Conflict that focuses on outcome. Conflict that focuses on what was the second one? Behavior. What did I say? Behavior, and then the last is the person making it personal. That's really good. I like that as an outline. She should be on a podcast. She should be. I just need to listen. Well, how do you
0: deal? Whisper. <laughs> <laughs> how do you deal with somebody who is
3: creating unnecessary conflict? What do you do? I think the first thing you do is illuminate for them the impact that it's having because they may not realize, and we're gonna start with positive intent and assume that they don't. When you do this, the impact on the team or the project or you know a person is this, and here's what I need you to do instead, and give them some path to resolving concerns they have, issues they have, et cetera, show them what healthy conflict looks like versus damaging conflict. Sometimes people come out of, you know, family situations where they saw one way to handle conflict and that's how they think it gets handled.
2: That's a good point. And
3: occasionally, you know, we just need to help train people and give them tools.
2: I think back to the pace thing, right? No matter who the person is, the situation, the relationship, I think you can, you know, almost call a timeout and just let everybody breathe, let everybody get a different perspective. And I love what you're saying about just this is and we said it a couple of times because it keeps resonating. This is how I heard what you said. This is the effect you had on this. Do you realize?
0: Yeah, I like that. I also always say, you know, Bruce Rhodes, mentor Bruce Rhodes used to always tell me people can't argue with how you feel. And so you should say, I feel like this when you say that. And that is powerful because most people don't talk about their feelings that way. It's not just the substance of the thing, but it is the feeling. I'll often recommend this. If two people are in conflict, we tend as leaders, we tend even, you know, you look at presidents and heads of state, et cetera, they will talk about the substance of the issue. But the best negotiators don't do that. They'll find, they'll negotiate, you know, you think about big, big, you know, massive country negotiation. They'll debate the chair settings and all these other things in the room. But if you look at it, debate the process. How are we going to talk about it? Let's talk about our principles. If you can third party into these other areas before we talk about the issue that often is very helpful. I was reading a Harvard Business Review article, and it said that when you're dealing with people that cause unnecessary conflict, spend more time with them. And then The article goes on to say, in addition to spending more time, do this, what I was saying about these other things. I'll read it. It says, he asked them both to identify a few common values to drive future interactions such as respect. Then they brainstormed behaviors that would demonstrate these values, such as greeting one another with a kind word or diminishing them, sending emails, impugning one another's motives. Crucially, they also came up with a protocol for what to do when those values got violated. And so after a few hours, he said the two opposing parties are drinking together at the bar. They hadn't even talked about the issue yet, but it's spending time with them and it's saying, let's debate these other things. Let's agree on the principles or let's agree on the process of how we're going to deal with that. You often see a, a good judge mediating will do that with the two lawyers opposing. They're not talking about the actual case. They're talking about how are we going to deal with this? What are we looking for, et cetera? We're not debating the underlying evidence yet. We're just going to talk about this procedure for us to operate, and I find that to be very unused and underutilized at work, but important. Because back to the time thing, we jump right in. We want to solve the problem. Well, here's what I think. Instead of saying, "Let's take a step back," let's talk about the process, etc. Have you ever seen that at work?
2: I think the I've called them rules of engagement, almost. Or, or and I, I think we're we're. In my own experience, we're good at it in facilitated, special, we're going to get together for four hours, and I I see it a lot. I don't see it as much in regular, everyday meetings. Those almost become norms in and of themselves, but I think it could even work in the example of the teams that don't have conflict. Like we could say, Elise, today, you're going to be the naysayer, and every example that comes up of something we talk about, you're going to tell us why that's a terrible idea. And we have given permission to create conflict, maybe in a team that doesn't do it. So there's a there's a lot of ways to that. That's just brilliant of just saying, look, we're going to allow this to happen, or we're not allow this this to happen. That can help the team kind of kind of get over whatever they're in the middle of.
1: So I think when forming teams, we usually use the term of ground rules. Yes. Uh, how will we behave towards one another? What is okay? What is acceptable? And what is not? And then it sounds silly, but taking that time to really get down to, again, what do those words actually mean? How will that sound? How will that look? And when we break these ground rules, what's our process or conversation that's expected to happen? Or what can I say to you, coworker, when you break this ground rule? What's appropriate? Especially if there's a team that just has a lot of conflict, naturally spending time doing that to help reduce some of it. Normal everyday teams probably don't need that as much, but
0: is there a normal everyday team? No.
1: We like to think <laughs> yeah. there is. I mean,
2: I, I think I think every team could use a little bit of it. I think you mm-hmm. could use examples like we we say assume positive intent a lot. You could have a rule of we're not gonna trash other teams. We're not gonna we're not, you know, just we're not going to do this. Cause I think it lets people, you know, maybe be aware. Oh, that's going on. Oh, I shouldn't do that. I mean, you you never know. So I mean, I think everybody could use a bit of this. I also find conflict to be a great interview question. When you
0: ask a candidate, how do you deal with conflict? Give me an example when and then put them in that scenario. It's also good if you're interviewing at a company to say, how is conflict dealt with here? How do people deal with it? What type of conflict gets escalated? Why? What happens? When have you noticed that? I think on both sides, you learned about the culture of the organization and how it deals with conflict. Have you seen anybody ask that? It's a great question.
3: I have. I've seen people ask the latter as I'm interviewing people. How does conflict? And I think people you know, look at the behavioral interviewing guides and pick out questions there. And that one is ideal because it tells you a thousand things about the culture, not just how conflict is managed. It gives you a sense of you know trust and collegiality and efficacy and how productive people are in the answer. I think people, when I've asked it of people, I almost always have to follow up with because people will give you the vanilla answer. Well, oh, I hand, you know, I think there's healthy conflict. I handle conflict well. I try not to take it personally. They say all the acceptable things. But you have to probe and say, we all work with someone that we just don't click with. Who is that person? Get them in your mind. And then give me a specific situation where you had a conflict with X. And then then you get a little bit more of a layer.
0: Are you thinking about me?
3: I am not thinking about you. (laughs) No, I am not. She's thinking of Drew. (laughs) Well, okay, you caught me there. (laughs) See,
0: this is just a mean podcast. (laughs) When does a manager get involved with conflict versus encouraging the individuals to work it out themselves? That's an art. And I'll say it because some leaders are conflict avoidant. They don't want to deal with anything. So they're just like, you work it out. And then something can fester and fester and fester. And others steer in too quickly and don't allow the parties to talk it through. It's the art between knowing. So what is the balance between those two things?
2: I mean, for me, it's the level of disruption, I think. I mean, I try to give people a chance to vent. And I ask, literally, are you just venting? Or are you expecting me to take action? Because that's good to know. You know, you want to fix. You want to jump in. You want to help. And sometimes they don't even intend for you to do that. But if it's not getting worked out on their own, if it is disrupting something important that the organization or their family or whoever needs to solve, you have to jump in or or it's your problem.
1: Oftentimes I'll work with a leader on helping them find the words to help that person with. So if if I go to a leader and I'm in conflict with another employee, what would be helpful is is that leader sitting down and like, okay, let's, let's talk this through. Let's play out how this conversation could go, how you can open it up. What are some things that you want to say? and work through that with them before necessarily mediating the conversation.
3: Yeah, I try not to mediate much because I think what happens is people lay the conflict on your desk mm-hmm. rather than and, – and I will often say, oh, that sounds frustrating. What did they say when you talked to them about it? And many times you get the, you know, well, I didn't or I tried this. And so I try to do a coaching rather than intervening. Sometimes you have to intervene, but –
0: It's usually better to steer it back. The question is you just don't want to ignore it or avoid it Mm -hmm. by steering it back. And then you've left that person who then says, well, I tried to take it to my boss Mm -hmm. and they, you know, he or she did nothing with it. Yeah,
3: it's important to circle back and say, okay, you're going to talk to Elise." Well, it wouldn't be at least. Let's no, use Drew. Be. You're going to talk to Drew. How did that go? Let's talk next week and see how that went. Yeah, you can't just leave it. Right. Well, and
0: usually it's shouting involved with
2: Drew. So well, yeah, it's actually quite pleasant here for those <laughs> listening.
1: So, Tammy, I think that's an important thing, though, as the leader, though. Then it's your. You need to follow back up with them. Mm-hmm. If you say you're going to follow up, making yeah. sure that you follow up. How did that conversation go?
0: Little side note on Drew, though, he's very literal. So he, he asks you, do you want me to take action or are you venting? He can't read you whether you're venting or taking action at all. He just literally will take whatever you say. Right. So, yeah. And
2: we've established that as a team <laughs> ground rule. Yeah. I can't read you. So come just in here me. and tread lightly because I might act on what you're saying. Yes, exactly.
1: Unless you t- are told
0: otherwise.
2: That is correct. And,
0: and what is the lesson there? The lesson is conflict is relational. And so you have to know people well. And if you really understand somebody and you see what would normally be, you know, oh, this person's at DEF CON level three and very, very serious, it may be they're just venting. It's just a normal thing. That level of relationship is so key on your teams and with, with people that you work with to know it, whether or not this is a real conflict or is this just a side note.
2: Well, it helps you separate is it situational or is it the person? Like you know, you have enough history to say, well, that's not Skip doesn't act that way. Right. So what's going on?
0: Something's up. Yeah. So so I think that is an incredible tool to to just really make sure you're investing in the relationships. And so spending time with people, and if you see somebody on edge or more stressed or whatever, spend a little more time. We do talk about slowing down, take out to lunch, do something off to just get to it because I often think conflict, what we see on the surface is not the conflict. It goes much, much deeper. And you may find there's a family issue going on or a medical issue going on or just an irritation or they're just stressed at work or they're trying to get everything done before they leave on vacation, whatever it is, it is something that's driving that. And the conflict itself is not really what you think. And thus, if you just wait a little while, it kind of dissipates and goes its own way. And so I would just say, Leaders who learn to engage in healthy, constructive conflict and learn to diffuse conflict that's unhealthy are always the most successful, the most productive, happier managers and teammates because they understand how to use it to their advantage. And when they sense that conflict or stress is going too high, they know how to diffuse it and kind of let it go away. And when they think that they need to create something because it's going to galvanize the team to take the next hill, they'll learn how to create it. And that's an art. And it's one that the regular listeners of Aim Higher know to do and to engage in. So with that, we want to thank you for listening to Aim Higher. And as always, we appreciate your comments, questions, if you have a question on conflict. And as always, please rate us if you like the podcast in any of the forms you're listening. And if you don't like it, well, then write about that on someone else's podcast and cause some conflict there, not here. Thank you for listening and have a great week.
1: Thanks for listening to Aim Higher with Skip Pritchard. Check out skippritchard.com for more episodes, interviews, book reviews, and leadership insights. Until next time, remember, don't settle for the mediocre. Always aim higher.